Well, we are together in 1 John this morning. So if you would, open your Bibles to the book of 1 John. I hope you've been enjoying, enjoying 1 John so far. It is the Word of God, after all. And uh, I'm so thankful to be in this book because we went from Philippians, and now we've come into 1 John, and, and the, the tone is very different, isn't it? And you can, you can sense the, the personality of the writer shining through, can't you? And yet God used that. God used the personality of the author to shine through his word, to communicate to us. And it's beautiful, isn't it? It's very different, and yet it is very much the word of God. And so we kind of change our focus a little bit, and uh, yeah, we're reading uh, the words of John, which is the word of God. We're in verse 8 this morning. And we're going to read verses 8 through 10. 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. So let's just begin our time together by reading that. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. There's a word in here that is not said a whole lot in this world anymore, and in churches too, and that word is sin. That's right. Unfortunately, that word is sin. The Word of God speaks much about sin. The Word of God also speaks much about the grace of God and the forgiveness of sin. So if we do not have a proper biblical theology of sin, then it's impossible that we have a proper biblical theology of the grace of God and the forgiveness of sin. Of what have we been forgiven if we don't understand our sin? And so, John begins to speak to us about sin this morning. And he is addressing, as we've been talking about, he's addressing this particular group of people who once were attached to the churches and now have come together and said, we don't believe like you anymore. We believe these things. And so we're going to go and create our own group. And so John is now addressing that and saying, listen, if you believe that, what does that say about you? If you believe. So that's why all these have started with if. Have you noticed that? How many of these start with if? If you say, if we say, if you say, and so he's saying, if these are the things you believe, then what? If you believe this, you lie. If you believe this, you deceive yourself. If you believe this, you're not of the truth. And so we read yet again, if, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say we have no sin. Now, I think if I were one of John's original readers or if we were one of the churches in Asia Minor so many thousands of years ago, it was a long time ago, if we were one of those churches and we were having this letter read to us and the letter says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And to that, we may say, John doesn't know me. This guy, John, I've heard of him. I know of him. 
He's never heard of me. He doesn't know me. And yet he says I'm in sin. How can that be? And yet he makes a universal claim here, doesn't he? If any of you, of any of these churches anywhere, at any time, in any place, if any of you says, I have no sin, you're deceiving yourself. And the truth is not in you. Now, how can he make such a universal claim? How can John speak to these people, many of whom he does not know? How can he speak to them like this? So there's a false doctrine being taught, and um, it, it all has to do with a status and a condition before God. So I'm going to put three options on the screen about a status and a condition. Our status and our condition before God. Option A, before God we are legally innocent, pardoned, and morally perfect. Option two, our status is legally guilty and morally corrupted. Or option three, we are legally innocent and yet morally corrupted, and how can that be? Which of these three is correct? Well, we'll look at the first one because this is the one John is addressing. This was the false doctrine being taught by those secessionists, as they're so-called. All those people who were withdrawing from the churches because they believed something false. This is what they believed. That there is a status before God that we have, that we are legally innocent before God. But then they also believed that they are now morally perfect. In other words, they could say, I have no sin. I have salvation in Jesus. I'm in the light. I'm walking in the light. Remember they said that? If you say you walk in the light, if you say you have fellowship with him while you're not walking in the light. So they were confused, right? So they say we have fellowship with God. And not only that, we are perfect. Interesting. John is refuting this by saying, if you think that, you're deceiving yourself. And the truth is not in you because this is false. There is not a person among us who is both legally innocent before God and morally perfect. There's not one. And John knew that to be the case. None of you are morally perfect. None of you are perfect. But you may be legally innocent, but it doesn't mean you're perfect. So what is the true doctrine? We know that's false. But what what is true? The true doctrine, we have to look at this in two sides. We have natural humanity and we have redeemed humanity because they're different for those two groups. Your status and your condition before God are different if you are part of natural humanity or if you're part of redeemed humanity. So let's just make sure that according to this and according to scripture generally, that we understand what our status is before God and what our condition is before God because these churches didn't get it. And John was saying, if you think this, then you're deceiving yourself because you don't properly understand your status before God and your condition before God. We need to make sure we understand. So what is the true doctrine concerning natural humanity and their status before God? Well, their status is legally guilty. That is, in a courtroom setting before God the judge, natural humanity is legally guilty before God. How do I know that? Well, the Bible speaks much about that, but I'm going to use two passages to briefly show you that. Romans 5, verses 12 through 15, it says, I'm going to read it for you. 
but make a note of it, please, so you can go back and reference this for yourself. Romans 5, 12 through 15, it says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin was indeed in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. So does that mean that before the law came that people were innocent before God? Because the time between Adam and Moses was a good little time in history. A lot of people lived right then. So what was, what was the status of mankind between Adam and Moses before the law was given? Were they guilty before God? Well, how do you know? Because it says right here, there was, uh, there's, there's no sin counted where there is no law. And then verse 14 says, yet, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come, right? If you were here on Wednesday, okay? So who was a type of the one who was to come? But death reigned from Adam to Moses. How can that be? Even over those whose transgression was not like the transgression of Adam. See, Adam willfully and knowingly disobeyed a direct commandment of God. And even though humanity was not aware that they were disobeying God in specific senses, they were still held accountable and were guilty before God for disobeying him. That is why death reigned. Because sin entered the world through one man, death entered the world through one man, and it spread to everybody. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Here's the important part for us right now. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh and were carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And so if... John is writing to these churches and he says, well, your condition before God in its natural sense, not redeemed in Christ, is guilty. Unredeemed natural man, as we all once were, is guilty before God. So what is their condition though? They are legally guilty, but what kind of person are they? Well, Scripture says that that person is morally corrupted. So they are guilty before God, yes, and they are also morally corrupted. So yes, we are in this state, in this status, due to what we have inherited by our birth. And yet, we also are condemned for our own sin. So we have inherited guilt, but then we also have guilt of our own, which is our own sin. Right? Romans 3.23 For we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You've heard that one. I know you have. Who's the all? All. And if you have sinned in one part, you have still sinned and therefore are guilty. John 8.34 Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Titus 3.3 we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, and slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated, hated, hated by others and hating one another. So what's interesting about natural humanity 
which we all were once a part of, is that we were enslaved to our moral corruption. Enslaved to our moral corruption. So, when you look around this world, and there are those who are not part of the redeemed community, they have not had faith in Christ, they're not believers, what is their condition before God and their status before God? Scripture tells us that they are both legally guilty before God and that they are enslaved to their moral corruption. That's a pretty bad situation to find yourself in. Guilty before God and you can't get out of it. You're enslaved to sin and corruption. So how do you get out of that? How did any of us get out of that? How do you break free from that? Well, understanding the depth of the bad news gives you what? glorious, great, good news, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, you can't have a mediocre, oh, they're not so bad uh, kind of people, and then say God is saving you from that. Well, you weren't saving me from much. The gospel is cut of its glory when you say that people aren't that bad and they're not guilty before God. No, that's not the picture that the Bible is painting is that there is morally corrupted humanity enslaved to their disobedience to God and you are only headed for the wrath of God. That is the picture of natural humanity and that is why the gospel is so glorious to us because God did what we could not do in and of ourselves. He saved us. He saved us. He had mercy on us. He had forgiveness on us. That's good news. That is the only good news. It is the only gospel. So, how do things change for the believer? Because if he's writing these to the churches, we're going to say, okay, well, that's not us then, right? If we are in Christ by faith, that's not us. So, what is our status as believers and what is our condition before God? Is it any different? Well, I hope so. Let's, let's look at it. So what is the status and condition of redeemed humanity? Before God, our status is legally innocent. We once were guilty, but now declared innocent. How in the world did that happen? I'm not, so I didn't sin? I didn't disobey God or or did I? How am I now innocent whereas once I was guilty? Think of someone who committed a murder. You are definitely guilty, convicted. All the evidence points to the fact that you did the crime. It is undeniable. You even confess to it. Yeah, yeah, I did it. You are guilty. And then now the judge says, now you are innocent. You say, what? But I really did it. I, I really did the crime. How can I now be innocent? Again, this is the glorious nature of the gospel. Because yes, you were guilty, but now through Jesus Christ, you have been pardoned. Romans 5, 8 through 10. God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, in, right, right in the middle of our rebellion against God, while we were in that state, Christ died for us. Since therefore you have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. That's good. That's great news. Romans 8, 1 through 3. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So great. So what Jesus Christ has done is credited to our account and justifies us before God by how? By what means? How do you get that? By faith and by faith alone. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. You can't just modify your behavior and start being a better person. Nothing makes you innocent before God except faith in Christ alone. And again, the gospel just keeps getting more glorious because how could it be that easy? How could it be that easy? Just faith. That's it. That's it. Faith. So then what is our condition now? Now that we are legally innocent before God, we are still morally corrupted. The only catch about this is we are no longer enslaved to it. We have been set free from slavery. This is the big thing that changes for us. You, as being in Christ by faith, are no longer enslaved to your moral corruption. Did you know that? Do you live that way? Sometimes do you in your life feel the pull as though sin is your master and you must obey it? Does sometimes you feel that pull in your life? I can't not do it. The temptation is too strong for me. Sin is my master. I must obey him. The truth, however, is that you have been set free from your bondage to sin. How do we know that? Oh, there's lots about that. Because that's great news again, isn't it? Because not, not only are we now legally innocent before God, but we continue to sin and yet all of it is still forgiven. How can that be? Romans 6, 6 and 7. For we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. You have been set free from sin. Does it make you morally perfect? No, but you've been set free from its bondage. Romans 6, 11, and 12. Consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And let sin therefore, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. So for someone who is enslaved to sin, can you say to them, don't let that sin enslave you. You are not held captive to that sin. To someone who doesn't have faith in Christ, that's not true for them. They are enslaved to that. They are held captive to that. And sometimes, doesn't it make you frustrated with maybe friends or family, people you work with, people that you know who are not believers, and yet they stay enslaved to sin. And we say, why don't you just get rid of that in your life? You're driving me crazy already with that. Why don't you just change? Why don't you just be different? They can't. They're enslaved to it. but you can. Romans 6, 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. So wow, what a, what a big difference between redeemed humanity and natural humanity. Both of which are incorrect according to this group of 
those teaching false doctrine. They didn't get, they didn't get it at all. They didn't get anything. They got both parts wrong, right? So uh, redeemed humanity, legally innocent before God, that's us. If we have faith in Christ, that's us. But yet we are still morally corrupted. If this isn't true, everything else John has to say is false. So are we going to think that John is wrong? Or are we going to say this has to be true because this is what he's saying to us? So we go back to our verse. So this is how, this is how he can tell all of us, all of his readers, everyone, anywhere, at any time, in any place, if you say you have no sin, you deceive yourself and the truth is not in you. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, if you have had faith in Jesus Christ, genuine faith, you are a sinner. This is exactly what John is telling us in 1 John 1, 8. What do you want to know what this means? Christians are sinners. You are not perfect. I am not perfect. The sooner we come to terms with that, the less offended we're going to be. Okay? I'm not perfect. I have sin in my life. You are not perfect. You have sin in your life. So, okay, there we all are, right? By the way, does that allow us to be a little bit more transparent with one another? Should it allow you to be a little bit more transparent with the people in this room? Listen, you have your struggles. I have mine. Sometimes yours are different, but we talk to each other about that. We encourage each other because none of us is perfect, but we want each other to be mature in Christ, to grow. I want to encourage you. Let's try to be more transparent with one another about the real sins in our life. Because you're not going to be met with someone who's condemning you because there is no condemnation for you if you are in Christ. If you are in Christ Jesus, who is there to condemn you? Not me, I can't. I can't condemn you. Jesus Christ has said that you're no longer condemned, therefore I can't condemn you, they can't condemn Now they might say it, no, they're wrong. No one can condemn you before God. If you are legally innocent before God, who can tell you that you're guilty before God? Can't do it. Well, that's kind of a relief, isn't it? Does this also help you to be more transparent with God himself about your sin? Well, it's almost like he should say something about that. And he does, and that's what verse 9 is all about, right? There you go, verse 9. What does it say? So if we confess our sins, he, who is he? God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What great, glorious news is this? So we are legally innocent before him, and yet we are still sinning against him, but when we confess it to him, he's going to forgive you. He might not forgive you. Depends on your attitude. I don't know. Depends on how I'm feeling today. But that's how we work, isn't it? Someone does something against you and they confess it to you and they want your forgiveness. I don't know. I didn't like your attitude when you told me. You know, I didn't like that. That confession wasn't good enough for me. Get on your knees maybe and we'll see. We'll see if I'll forgive you or not. You know, do a little extra work to earn my forgiveness. Not so with God himself. If you confess your sins to God, what sins? Only, only certain sins. Only like the insignificant ones. You know? Only the insignificant sins. Confess the little itty-bitty sins to God and he'll forgive you of those easily in Christ. Or, 
Any sin. Any sin? Any sin? Any sin? Any? Wait a minute. Any sin? If I confess it to God, He is faithful to us. He is a forgiving God. And He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What does this mean exactly? I think there's a little bit of a misunderstanding about this passage, and I, I want to clarify it. There is a word here that confess. If you're taking notes, this word confess is important. I just circled it in the air if you're wondering what that hand motion was. That uh, confess is important. It's a compound Greek word, homo legeo, and you recognize the word homo because it means same. Legeo means to speak. So it means same speak or to say the same thing. That's what this word means. Say the same thing. Say the same thing. What does this mean? If you say the same thing, he is about your sins. He is faithful and just to forgive you. To confess your sins to God is to acknowledge that what God says about your sin is true. This is what it means. To confess your sins to God means to say, God says this is sin, and I am admitting to God that what he said about sin is true. Have you ever convinced yourself? Just think with me for a second. Let's just be honest. Have you ever convinced yourself that something that God says is sin is not actually sin? I bet you have. I don't know all your thoughts and all your deeds, but God does. But I'm guessing, I'm guessing, you have convinced yourself that what you're doing is not that. No, that's something else. That, that applies to somebody else. We believe what God calls sin is sin. Who God is. We believe that we sin against God. Do we believe that about sin? We believe that God will forgive us of our sins. Do you believe that about sin? We believe that God will cleanse us from our sin. Do you believe that about sin? But this is also individual acts and actions, both sins of commission and omission. You know the difference between those two. As we mature in Christ, generally speaking, our sins to us sometimes become a little bit less recognizable because they transform into more sins of omission rather than sins of commission. That means that there is something you should be doing, but you're not. Rather than you are doing something that is malicious, is bad, right? Those things, as we grow in Christ, we get rid of those things. And as we get older, as we mature in Christ, those things are kind of in our past. But now it's more about things I should be doing that I'm not. And we easily overlook those things. Easily. Because we say that doesn't apply to me. So what God is telling me about my sin, I'm saying, no, you're wrong about that. So you're not confessing your sin to God, saying to God the same thing he has said to you about your sin. A question I consider here is this. If God has already forgiven me, why do I need to ask for forgiveness? It's almost like if I say to you, listen, 
I know you did that to me, but I forgive you. And then five minutes later, you walk up to me and you say, I know I did something. I don't know how long ago this was, but I know that I was young-ish, okay? Anywhere between 10 and 16, anywhere between 8 and 16. I was somewhere around that age. And I was in my mom's room and I was cleaning. Now, something about my mom is that she likes trinkets, okay? Some of you like trinkets, you know what I mean? Knick-knacky stuff, you know, just little, I don't know. I, I don't know what they are. They're just they're like a little box. I don't. What's in the box? I don't. There's nothing in the box. It's just a box. I just like the box. And it, or the little figurine. Or just, just lot little knickknacky stuff. I don't know what it is. It's just a bunch of stuff. Well, my mom has a lot of this little knickknacky stuff. Okay, a lot of it. And so, uh, I was helping by cleaning in her room. And I accidentally knocked a little figurine type thing off the wall, and it broke. It broke. The thing was insignificant. It was something, it didn't look old, it didn't look nice, there was nothing about it. So, so I, I went to my mom, I said, hey, I, one of those things fell off the wall, I'm sorry it broke. No big deal, moving on. You know, it's like, I'm sorry I dropped your french fries on the ground. It's, uh, you know, it's like, uh, I did this, but uh, you know, it's no big deal, we're moving on. Well, later, and she said, okay, I forgive you. Well, later I find out that that thing I broke had significant value to her. And she was crying about it. And so I come to find out that that thing just had far more value than I realized. That is the depth of what I had done I just now realized, even though I was already forgiven. You see, she knew the depth of what I did when she forgave me, but I didn't yet. But when I came to terms with how deep it truly was, even though I was already forgiven, what did I do? I said, now that I understand, please forgive me. I'm so sorry that I broke that. I didn't know how significant this was. Do you see that even though God forgives you at the point of faith, that as you come to terms with how grave your sins truly are, we confess those back to God and we say, I'm sorry. I didn't realize how deep that sin was. I didn't realize how bad that was. I know you've already forgiven me, but I'm coming to you now because I realize how bad it was. I realize now what I've done and I need to ask for your forgiveness. I know that you forgive me. I know that you've given me forgiveness in Christ. I know that you have. But now that I realize what I've done, I'm coming to you and I'm asking for your forgiveness. And when I do that, I have it. He is faithful. And he is just, he is righteous. And he will cleanse me of all unrighteousness. And that's a process throughout my life and throughout your life and throughout every believer's life. God is cleansing you of unrighteousness. That's a process. And it's called 
sanctification. You will be fully sanctified one day, but it will not be while you're on this earth. So God is cleansing us, true. So I'll say this in, in summary. Oh, did my microphone die? How long has my microphone not been working? Before you start. Thanks, Jimmy. All people in the back of here do the best. I mean, I, I, there, is that better? All right, Jim. I'll preach it all over again. To summarize. So those who have fellowship with God are constantly coming to terms with God's holy character and their own corruption. Do you see how that works? The longer you live as a Christian, the more holy you realize God is. And the more holy you realize God is, the more you learn about his character, the more you learn about yourself. And what do we learn about ourselves? I am far worse than I ever thought I was. So therefore, the Christian should talk about sin, not in a dreary, uh, like it's bad news, it's hanging over my head, it's like a dark cloud that's always with me. No, we talk about sin in such a way that we know that we are forgiven and that we have been set free from slavery to sin. So why pastors are not talking about sin, I don't know because if you don't talk about sin, you have no gospel. There is no good news without bad news. We must talk about sin. The Bible talks about sin. But we must talk about it in a healthy way. You need to talk about your own sin in a healthy way. Simply put, we don't live our life as though the holy character of God is not holy. Right? We don't live our lives in such a way that we think that we have already become morally perfect. But no, we live our lives as a Christian knowing that we are forgiven and yet imperfect. We are forgiven and yet sinners. Let's look at what verse 10 is telling us. So verse 9 was saying, so if we confess our sins, if we say back to God what he has already said about our sin, he is faithful, he is just. The word is righteous, he is righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is good, but it goes one step farther. So what does verse 10 say? So if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Do you know that if you say, I have no sin, you are actually making God himself a liar? Now, you can't actually make God a liar, right? Because he's not a liar. But you're calling God a liar. No, it doesn't make it true. But you're saying it. You're saying it. It does not mean... Well, let me say this first. As John has been explaining these things to us, and they all start with if, 
he's making a distinction between one group of people and another, right? We've seen that pretty clearly, have we not? So this, this is essentially, we can see this as tests of faith. If you say this, you belong to this group, but if you say this, you belong to this group. So here's kind of a test. Here's a test of faith. And what are these questions that he's been asking? In verses 6 and 7, do you practice the works of light? Answer that question favorably, and it's going to show you what camp you belong to. Do you believe that you're a sinner? Depending on how you answer that question, you belong to one group or the other. And do you confess your sins to God? It's going to show you that you belong either to one camp or the other. It's important that we understand that this is not instructive to us, but it's a description. So this is not about how to get fellowship with God. It's not what's being said here. Now, do we need to confess our sins and repent of our sins? Yeah, that's true, but that's not his, that's not his point. It is true, but we don't just take a biblical truth and import it here and say that's what he's saying. No, we need to let John say what he's saying. And what John is saying is that this is not how to get fellowship with God, but this is more of a test for who God's people truly are and how they behave. So it's descriptive. This is what it looks like for those who truly have fellowship with God. If you truly have fellowship with God, if this truth is in you, if his word is in you, then you will be confessing your sins to God. Then you will be trusting in his character to forgive you. you will be actively being cleansed by God himself. This is the description of the Christian. This is not about how to become a Christian. Because if it were, that would mean that you have to change your, your status yourself and get up to God. You, can, you can't get to God. God has to come to you. Okay? You can't climb your way up a ladder so high and you've gotten all the way up to the top, and then God's like, finally, you made it all the way up the ladder. Good, now I'll help you up. It's not how it works. God sent his son down to us. God came to us. And so, what does this mean? If we put last week and this week together, which is how I'd like to end, we take last week, what we said last week, and we we put it with this week. Look back at verse 5 with me. So, This is the message that you have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So God has no moral corruption about him. God is perfectly good and righteous, okay? If we say we have fellowship with him, you call yourself a Christian, while you're walking in the darkness, you're lying and you're not practicing the truth, okay? So if your deeds were more deeds of light, then it would be, okay, I can tell you're walking in the light. Because you look like the light. You reflect the light. As I said, like Moses' face shining the glory of God. It wasn't the perfect glory of God, but at least I know you've been there. Right? And so, uh, then verse 7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So, again, this is not how to become into fellow, how not, not how to come into fellowship with God, but it's a description of those people who have fellowship with God and one another is that we walk in the light. Now he's saying, here's the thing, you don't have to be perfect. You can't be perfect because you think, well, darkness and light. I have an awful lot of deeds of darkness in my life, but I promise I'm in the light. I'm walking in the light. I'm a believer. I have fellowship with God, but I have works of darkness in my life. And so John is taking those two things and he's saying, here, listen, I get that. 
And actually, every Christian is going to battle with that. But if you confess those sins to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us of those sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's doing a work in you today. He is working in you to cleanse sin today, but it starts by you being honest about your sin. Christians need to be honest about their sin, honest about sin in their life. Doesn't mean free from sin because that, you're not gonna be absolutely free from sin. Understand that. There are some people who I have conversation with and they, they get all bent out of shape when they have a sin in their life, right? They, they, they did something, they like, oh, I used to do that so long ago, I thought I was over that, but there I go, I did it again. You know, and it, 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 it puts this heavy weight on them that they seem to not be able to get out of. This is not how we treat sin in our life. You have victory over sin. You have been set free from sin and you have forgiveness of sin. But what you need to do with sin by the power of the Holy Spirit is understand God's character, understand what he says in his word, and be purging yourself of sin constantly. It is God who is working inside of you. He is cleansing us from all sin. So when you become aware of sin in your life, you are sinning against God if you don't say to God, I'm sinning. You've compounded your sin. Do you have sin in your life today that you have refused to admit back to God that is sin? What do you do with that? You say to God what he has said about your sin and you do it right now. You confess that sin to God and he will forgive you of that sin and he will continue to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Move forward by the power of the spirit of God at work in you. You have been set free from sin. Do not pretend as though you are not set free from sin. Sin is no longer your master. You don't have to obey him no matter what he tells you. He may tell you, you have to do this. You are enslaved to it, like an addiction. But you're not. We must live in the power of God, living as those who are in the light. But it doesn't mean that you are the perfect light. No, that's not what it means. It means God is the perfect light. Confess your sins to God. Be transparent with one another about the sin in your life. Get encouragement from one another. Okay? This is hard. If we were to get in a group, I broke us out. I'm not doing this. But if I broke us out this morning into, into groups of three or four, and I said, go ahead and confess your sins to one another this morning, You know it. Why? It's hard, isn't it? Is it hard to be honest about the corruption that still is in you? Listen, it's okay. It's good. It is right for us to be transparent with one another about our sins. Let's be honest about our struggles and get help from one another. Right? Is maybe this the way God has designed it? that we would bear one another's burdens, right? If I don't know what your burdens are, how can I help you? If I don't know where your weaknesses are, how can I come alongside you and help you through those times? How can I hold you accountable to that? How can we help you? I don't know if we're tight-lipped about the sin in our lives. So this is something that we can work on together as a church, yes? 
that we can work toward being a congregation that is more transparent about the true struggles of sin in our life. And you, if you're on the receiving side of that, someone is confessing sin to you, listen. And do not bring condemnation on them because Christ has delivered them from condemnation. Now, hold them accountable. Lovingly hold them accountable. But listen, they're coming to you. They're coming to you and they're, 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 they're being honest with you. They're being vulnerable with you. Don't crush them. You ever been crushed when you admitted sin to someone and they made you, they belittled you? Why do we confess sins to one another? Because we're all weak and we all have sins. And we ought to help one another, not crush each other. Okay, so I want to encourage you in that this morning. For those who are in Christ, you are forgiven. And you need to continue to confess your sins as you become aware of them in your life and get rid of those sins in your life. But then also we who have fellowship with one another ought to be confessing our sins to one another and joyfully walking in the life that God has given us together. All right? Let's pray. Lord, as we come together as your people and we read your word, you always have something for us. We, we are never left empty, void, not knowing where to go, where to turn, what to do, how to think, how to live. We don't have to do that because we have your word and your word is powerful. And sometimes your word is very uncomfortable. But that's how it is with the light. When the light shines in the darkness, we tend to flee. But God, I pray for us who have your spirit. Let the light be sweet to us and not bitter. Help us to see by your word and by your spirit the sin in our life. Let us not pretend or believe or delude ourselves into thinking that we are captive to sin. We're not. We've been set free. Let us not delude ourselves into thinking that if I tell anyone or if I tell God, I will have great condemnation brought on me for this. But no, instead, in faith, knowing who you are, we confess it to you. We admit that sin is sin to you. And we come alongside one another and we help each other who are imperfect and who are sinners. We help each other walk through this life. Those who have fellowship with you, we have fellowship with one another. And God, we're living this same spiritual life together. So give us help. Give us help in that. Help us to be more transparent with one another. Help us to truly be faithful and to trust in what you have said about us, about our sin, and about you and your holiness. We ask this together in Jesus' name. Amen.